Hey, Circle Take listeners, thanks for joining me again. Today we are talking to writer, director, actor Dory Barton about the first feature film she directed, the 2016 coming-of-age film Girl Flu. So as always, before you listen to the show, here are the Circle Take rules. Rule one, we always talk about spoilers. Circle Take is a deep, deep dive, and no plot turn is sacred, so you have been warned. Rule two, before you go any further, you should watch this movie. I promise you, while it's possible to listen to this podcast without seeing the film, it's a million times better if you watch the film first. So, before we get started, how to watch Dory Barton's Girl Flu. As of the recording of this show, it's available on Amazon Prime and Instant Video, iTunes, YouTube Movies, and Google Play. This film is out there and easy to grab, so no excuses. Dory Barton's Girl Flu. Get a hold of it and give it a watch. All right, guys, everybody one, please. Voila. Straight away, guys, hold the talking. Here we go. All right, guys, pictures up. Pictures up. Pictures up. That's real sound. Sound speed. Dory Barton interview, take one. Mark. And action. This is The Circle Take, conversations, insights, and lessons from directors about their first feature film. I'm your host, Jason Schmidt. I'm an independent film producer. In 2006, I directed my first feature film. And over my career, I've had a chance to work with dozens of first-time directors, and I continue to find the experience fascinating. My guest today is writer, director, and actor Dory Barton. As an actor, she's been seen in countless television shows from daytime dramas and sitcoms to major motion pictures, playing opposite to the likes of Ewan McGregor, Neil Patrick Harris, Bobcat Goldthwait, and many more. She graduated from the California Institute of the Arts with a degree in theater and remains a proud member of the Evidence Room Theater Company in Los Angeles. Dory's debut feature film as a director is the coming-of-age film Girl Flu, which she also wrote. The film, released in 2016, focuses on a 12-year-old girl called Bird who has to deal with her first period at the worst possible moment of her life. The Hollywood Reporter recently wrote of the film, quote, Dory Barton and DP Alice Brooks steer clear of the usual coming-of-age indie stylistic choices, which tend toward the harshly realistic or dreamly lyrical, relying on straightforward compositions and unspectacular L.A. locations to convey a sense of regular lives. There's a sincerity here, a lack of pretension, and a generosity of spirit that proves infectious, end quote. And I, I looked this up. Dory Barton's Girl Flu enjoys an 8.2 star rating on IMDb. Yeah, put it. In, let me put that in perspective for you. By the way, other films that also have an eight point two star rating on IMDb, uh, Academy Award nominated films, Room, <gasps> Wolf of Wall Street, and classics like Big Lebowski, Train Spotting, and Blade Runner. Wow! So Dory Barton, Girl Flu is keeping good company. To be sure. Welcome to the Circle Take. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk with you. Yeah. So congrats on the film. Um, this is a uh, this is one of these um, in a lot of ways sort of like a classic indie film because it's it's really small it's mm-hmm. it, it and I think it takes place over the course of basically four or five days yeah. um, so it's you know it's about very few characters so let's let's get into the beginning of this story as a first feature film what was it about this story that you decided you wanted to make this your for your first feature film it's interesting that you're interested in first time directors. Because I do think that there's a lot of things that are in common, you know, um, and one of the things that I that I see as being in common is so many of us have to first make a coming of age movie. It's 
like a rite of passage that we have to go through. I feel like a lot of us need to like grow ourselves up, you know, by well, not just doing the first film, but having the first film about being growing up. Yeah, yeah. it's funny, you know, I mean, a lot of people say about writers um, that they'll, you know, they'll write a script based on what transition they're going through in their own life. Yeah. Absolutely. So like if you're in your early 20s yeah. and you're writing your first script, it tends yeah. to be the sort of like trying to figure out adulthood script, <laughs> right? Um, and this isn't that. This isn't that at all. So you're you're very much grown up. You know, puberty, (laughs) but you know, you're an adult woman, right? You're not 12. Um, So, you know, you know, puberty and and getting your first period was something that happened a long time ago. So what was it about this story that connected to you that you were like, this is the one that I want to, you know, launch my directing career with? The issues about um, how we feel about our bodies was something that when I started writing the film became really important to me and all humans, really, how we all feel about our relationship to our bodies because it's not quite ourselves, but it is ourselves. And I started, I was going through a period of my life where I was thinking about like um, when our bodies betray us, basically. And that I wanted to tell, I knew I wanted to tell a story about that. And so I thought, how far back do I have to go personally before I can remember the first time that I felt that way? And there's no question that it was when I got my first period. Yeah. I, I also remember being like, you know, five and like crying over drawings that I made when I was three because I'd never be young again, you know? So like, I, I think even when I was, you know, 11, when I got my first period, like I was already sort of prone to, you know, that kind of drama, <laughs> you know, like I felt betrayed, right. but, um, but I did. And a lot of people, you know, feel that way. So it, it, it created a curiosity for me because I, you know, immediately started wondering how everybody else felt about it. We don't have a lot of stories. There's a book called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. It was written in 1970. Right. It's been a while. And it's, and it's, and it's the standard <laughs> it's bearer still. It is. It's, it's still, crazy. It's, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a tremendous book, but it's, you know, quite dated. It's a per- just, and a particular experience. It's a very, yes. And um, so everybody has particular experiences. And um, it was cool, too, because I, I not only interviewed women, but um, I think it was like after my first draft, my first draft, I realized after I'd like sent it out to some people to get some feedback, um, one of the pieces of feedback that I got was that it was a little sexist, the, my script. And I was horrified. I was like, me? <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But um, it was true. In my first draft, the roles that the male characters had were just as thin as most female characters are in scripts about dudes. Right. Like right. I hadn't taken it. it was my first draft. Like sure. whatever. I've, that's fine. But like But I mean, but even finished drafts, like uh there was the um the hidden figures uh, that recently came out. Uh-huh. Whereas like all these white male actors who are usually like leads and stuff sure. were playing these two D completely flat side characters that were like utterly underwritten. Almost intentionally. You I, know I think <laughs> like, yeah, I do feel like that was probably intentional and I think a little bit of that like is fair well let me ask you how long did you spend working on the script the script I'm gonna say like a year and a half wow in terms of like from you know busting out the outline right and you know I'm very uh, methodical Um, the story was very uh, it's a very organized as as sort of like loose and free form and you know um, liquid as the film feels when you watch it it's inside it's yeah. Did you try out different 
versions of the script and explore different ways to tell that story? It it changed, that part of it changed very little because like you said, it takes place in, you know, it's it's a week because it's that's how long you have your period. So you always kind of knew the structure was going to be that. Yeah, so it's okay. like each day of her period is a certain thing that she's experiencing or trying to do. So the script, yeah, it has, it, the the structure sort of like arrived along with, the story itself, right. baked together. Right. Yeah. And then moving into production of the film, yeah. you know, every aspiring filmmaker wants to know from everyone who's made a movie, how did you get the gig? And obviously, you know, this is a story you wrote, mm-hmm. and attaching yourself to a script you wrote is, is, is sort of an obvious move for a lot of first-time filmmakers. Yeah. How did you move from being an actor, working in the business, who wrote a screenplay and wanted to make this film to a person who had a budget and a producer to, to make that happen. Right. So that, that took a while like that. And that took a lot of patience and, you know, persistence of course, but like, um, uh, I had some help with people, you know, passing the script along and around. And I certainly have my manager, John McGallier to thank for supporting me through that. Um, I also really remember one day, coming home and I actually said to my husband, I was like, I am in pre-production right now. (laughs) Like I didn't have a dime. I didn't have, you know, and it had nothing in place except like me and a script. So it was more of like a, like a mental mindset. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was like, I am in, I am now in pre-production. And I started talking to people that I knew, like just assuming that I was in pre-production. I storyboarded the film. I shot listed. Like I just was like, I'm, it was happening. Yeah. But, um, so my friend and, uh, who ended up being one of the producers on the film, Jay Lowy gave the script to someone he was working with on another film as a producer, gave my script to him. And it just so happens, uh, they Decided that they, you know, were they liked interested. it. Yeah. So David Wilson is that producer. He read it. He read it on a plane, I guess, and like laughed the whole time. And his wife was like, "What are you laughing at?" And he was like, "It's a movie. I think, I think I want uh, to make it." A producer yeah. reading a script on a plane, I think, is the beginning of fifty percent of films it, that are made. It better be. Yeah. <laughs> like when else are you gonna read scripts? Yeah. It's good. You have a captive audience. It's great. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Thank yeah. God that producers fly in planes. Otherwise, movies would never get made. I know. Um, let's get through some of like the yeah. really basic nuts and bolts here. How many days did you shoot? It was 19 days. 19 days. Yeah. And that was that five day weeks or six day weeks? It was five day weeks. Okay. Cause you had, you had a kind of a, a significant number of night scenes. Well, we had some night scenes. The so real... you kind of need those kind of turnaround days. We needed some splits. The big challenge in, of this shoot in terms of like time was the fact that so many of our actors were young performers right? and they have school, they have, you know, rest. So it's like actual boots on the ground, you right, know, right. They have short days. Yeah, yeah. Real short days. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you, and you've got one of your leads is. Obviously, needs the set teacher and the whole thing. Yeah, well, yeah, Yeah. the boy too, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. And what kind of cameras did you settle on using? We used an Ari. And and was that a choice of the DP or? Yeah, we made that choice together. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and how many people were on your crew? I have no idea. You know, I could. I I really don't know. Was it like a big crew where you walk on? Like, I feel like I'm on a TV show. Or was it like, wow, where is everybody? No, it felt big. Really? Yeah, one of my friends actually that I had, um, I asked to come play a, a small part in the film. Um, we know each other from theater, uh-huh. you know, and, and so some of the people that have known me the longest were kind of like the most surprised at, you know, right. well, what I went out and did. Well, especially coming from the theater. Yeah, you know? yeah. So she grabs me, like she's on set and she like grabs me by the shoulders and she's like, Dory, 
you have trucks. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I do. Wow. Uh, so was it the kind of shoot where like every department has their own truck? Like camera's got a truck, yeah, art department's yeah. got a truck. Okay, I don't know, so 40 you, people? Okay. Is that, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that seems, you know, in, in the zone. And how long were your typical days? Were you trying to keep them like in, in, in the 12-hour range? Or did you oh, have yeah. To, no, we kept I everything. mean, obviously you've got a lot of kids, so that kind of limits you already. Yeah, yeah. But even still, you know, it was um, it was not a difficult shoot there was nothing that was you know tremendously physically challenging and we had one day of you know hard rain where we had to make some decisions right you know i noticed that because it was funny it was really the continuity in that scene was um particularly good and i assume Um, you you set up the other side of the shot to, to rain in the car Oh, to rain on the car. Yeah, but the, um, the rain but, itself but the in the particular film, scene in the rain just I kind know. of all worked out. It's and I'm like, so beautiful. Well, that wasn't in the script. That just happened. It just happened. And, but thematically, it's like, wow. I know. There's <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. If this was a $40 million film, you would have said, and I want the rain rain. here. I know. Isn't that cool? Movie miracles. I mean, like I said, we had to make some decisions. Yeah. But But uh, it all really works out. Yeah, yeah. And you shot with permits. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Some people don't. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm just very mindful of, of yeah, yeah, I like yeah. things to be in That's order. It's low stress, too. It is low yeah. stress. Yeah. Once um, in the, when I was at Kellarts, I actually like got shot at for being part of a company that didn't have a permit. So <laughs> yeah. That, that'll make you get that. a permit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do anything in particular uh, to prepare for the experience of directing? And by that, I mean, okay, I've never done this before. Is there anything I yeah. should like? Did you like watch a lot of movies or like mm-hmm. listen to like DVD commentary or just like go out and like, you know, apprentice with some directors that you knew or just shadow somebody or anything like that? I did a little bit of everything. I, all of those things. Yeah. I, as an actor, you know, when I look back on all those sets that I've ever been on, like I really realized that the people that I was, focused on you know what they were doing was what's the director doing what's the cinematographer doing um you know talking to the cinematographer about the lenses you know i I remember my first you know philosophical conversation about like crossing the line and you know everybody like on the crew like pitching in and giving their version (laughs) of it it was like this is fun you know so i like acting but you know so i feel like i've been like preparing my whole career um you know i started reading books like mm-hmm. a madman, like just, I have a tremendously huge Was, it, was there anything that stuck out in particular from a particular book where you're like, ooh, that's a good thing? Um, you know, I do actually remember because um, stepping into the visual was, you know, like camera placement was something that I, I had a lot of awareness about that I didn't know. Like I, I did have a, a very good friend of mine, Jim Burkett, um, film director, who really did a lot of like boot camp you know, these are the lenses. This is, you know, how the camera moves. This is how, you know, just really like breaking it down for me. With me. That's so sweet. Um, and, you know, having me, you know, practice shoot on the camera and just like really breaking breaking it down. He really, A he was literal, tremendously. literal like one man film school. Yeah. was wow. tremendously, tremendously helpful. Um, I so, so you did, as a director, you did get into the minutia of like lens choice. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love, I love all of that stuff. I, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, is it minutia? I guess so. Well, especially coming from a director whose background is acting. I've worked with a lot of first time directors uh and and a lot of actor first time directors. Yeah. Um, and that's the type of thing that really just 
does not cross their mind. Oh, or, I or, loved or that kind of gain understanding of that. Basically, and like how ev- it can affect the film. Every part, every like new part. You know, one of the things I did do also um, as like you know research um, was I just started watching films with no sound, like just you know, right, just right. really, really clocking how they covered it's an old cinematography trick yeah yeah Yeah. and and because i was like i got you know i gotta learn everything i felt like i wanted to be like neo in the matrix where he just plugs that thing into the back of his head and he's like i know jujitsu like i wanted to be like i know cinematography (laughs) um so yeah i just kind of downloaded as much information from the world as possible and every every phase of production i and you know pre-production production, post-production, every new phase I just took on as a new challenge to learn as much as possible about it. And I ended up falling in love with every single phase. So like, I remember the day I fell in love with lenses. Um, Alice Brooks, the DP, took me to, you know, do a lens test and, you know, we just spent the whole day just shooting, yeah, different, you know, speeds and, you know, shutter speeds and, yeah, it was just so much. That's great. It was a tremendously eye-opening So when you walked onto the set the first day, you had some confidence. Well, yeah. I mean, we had a really good pre-production period and I felt like, um, you know, also too, you know, we started shooting in the house. This is kind of funny too, having you guys here because I wrote the film to be able to be shot in my house. Free location. Yeah. Which (laughs) makes it really handy for uh, storyboarding and shot listing and practice shooting around the, you know, I could just get up and literally walk it out. Right. um, If I was thinking about it. So I really did have, you know, boards and, but also what I was going to say is the first day, the first, um, I believe it was nine or 10 days we shot in the house, which basically is like the size of a bit bigger than this house. But it was kind of great because everyone was like crammed in together. And yeah. um, that that proximity was fantastic for communication. Did you have any concerns? And, and this is kind of more of a post-production mm-hmm. question now moving into post. Um, is on a smaller film like this where one location is so central to the story... Uh, in, in in this film, it's the house. Yeah. Um, so much of what goes on in this film happens at this one house. Yeah. Was that a concern for you in going into the film and feeling trapped in there? Like, how do I break it out? How do I compartmentalize that house to make it feel like different spaces? Yeah, and that was also something that, you know, I thought about when I was writing it. Like, that was, you know, built into the film itself. It's like, and we don't want to get, you know, fatigued from this place. And so, yeah, how to open it up and, you know, get outside or get into different parts of the house. And, you know, conversely, really creating strong emotions around the spaces that we had to spend the most time in, which is, or, you know, not had to, but that we got to spend the most time in was Jenny's bedroom, Bird's bedroom, and the bathroom that connects them, that umbilical cord. So a lot of the film is about, Continuing to come to back, you know. Did you have that, that bathroom space. in mind when you wrote it? That it would be that uh, sort of railroad flat yeah, bathroom? Yeah, that's, that's, that's in my house. So yeah. you knew that was going to be there. That's actually, part can, of what the story wait, is let's about. Let's actually listen to that scene because there's a great little scene that's sort of like base of that a whole... Because ba- a bunch of scenes come back to this bathroom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is... Um, so to, just to set this up, this is... She's just come home from uh, having been bleeding at school and is mortally embarrassed and mom is freaking out doesn't even know what to do calls a friend to help because she's just like i can't even handle this by myself um and her friend comes in to plop her down and and talk turkey yeah um yeah. And, and just and call it call it what it is let's take a listen in a comfortable position that's bullshit you're just gonna want to squat down and find something to hold on to so you don't fall i could fall Blah, 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 into vaginal canal, blah. I mean, seriously, who wrote this? A man? Yeah. 
You are gonna push this thing all the way into your vagina. You understand about vaginas? You know how to find it? I think so. Okay, good. So once this is really in there, you're gonna push this thing up like this. Out that comes, you're gonna pull this stuff out. This is the only thing that stays in there. You have a little cotton tail so you can pull it out again later. Right, make sure you don't lose it up there or forget about it. Wait, I could lose it? It, it doesn't get does. lost. How many, how many times do I have to do this? It depends. On what? On the flow. Yeah. And how many days? Like about like five. Eight. Jesus. Okay, well, there's your tampon. Here's your mirror. Good luck. <laughs> it, it works as a radio play. It's great, yeah. I love, well, it's also, you can yeah, hear that bathroom yeah. sound. Like, yeah. they're in, they're, and they're all sitting on the floor, and mm -hmm. it's just like this. Um, it's a great, it's a great little room that you just keep coming back to. And our camera operators like squeezed into the bathtub, like trying I'm to make sure. himself as little as possible. <laughs> and that's not a, uh, and that's not a small camera. It's not a small camera and it was not a small camera operator. Oh really? Yeah. Chris Cuthbert was, he played football in college. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a big guy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So let's let's talk about mistakes, um, and we get to play a little game. This is this is the fun part. <laughs> oh god! Um, uh, it's a little game we like to call "Did that really happen?" It's this I'm is nervous. Uh, no no no. It's super easy. <laughs> okay. So let me set this up. This is brought to you, Amelia. Can I have a little music for this? This just feels like it wants music. This is brought to you by the hive mind that makes up the comment section on IMDb. Since your film is a coming-of-age story, you're going to hear about some mistakes made in other coming-of-age films, possibly submitted to IMBD, IMDb by its fanatically observant users, or possibly completely made up by our own resident IMDb geek. The rules are simple. Listen to the goof, tell us if it really happened, or if we're full of it. Ready Great. to play? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Featuring the pierced tongue of Evan Rachel Wood... And the nightmares of suburban moms for years to follow. Your first quote is from the 2003 film, 13. In the scene where Mel is taking Tracy and Evie to Brooks, it's clear that both girls are in the back seat. But when they get to Brooks' house, Tracy gets out the front. Oh, car seating arrangement continuity. Did it happen? It could have, and nobody would have cared. It wouldn't have mattered. Got to pick one. Oh, I, I can't take the... Oh, um, yes. You're correct. It did happen. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. It made in a long time ago world where teenagers didn't have smartphones and texting, so when they were locked in a room together, they were forced to actually talk to each other. Your next quote comes from the 1985 John Hughes classic, The Breakfast Club. When Bender is staring at Allison while she bites her nails, he's wearing a white V-neck t-shirt, exposing a part of his chest. In the next shot of him, seconds later, when he is obviously not moved, he's wearing a crew neck t-shirt. A wardrobe malfunction. I'll say no. Right again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that film a lot, but I have no idea whether he was wearing a V-neck Would you even notice? Um, maybe. It was kind of hot. 
Your final quote is from the 2007 film that makes the bold assertion that even when dorky, awkward teenagers say they're just studying, they're having sex too. And Michael Sarah's case here, it's with Ellen Page as the world's snarkiest pregnant teenager, Juno. When she goes into labor, she shouts, Thundercats are a go! An error, or more likely a mixed reference to both the American cartoon series Thundercats Ho and the British Super Mario Nation series Thunderbirds are go. So what's the, did she it's just a, make it a, a goof or a, 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 a mixed pop culture reference? I'll buy that. You yeah, think but, that, yeah? Yeah, I'll buy yeah. she wrote that show. Three for three, a perfect <laughs> score. <laughs> what do I win? <laughs> you, you win your pride. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so obviously, like, you know, forever, uh, obsessed fans will find the, the smallest, smallest detail. Is there anything, like a mistake that, like, cost a shot or, like, cost a setup or, like, in post, you're like, oh, that piece of coverage that I, because that thing happened? Uh, you know, it, because it was my first film, and um, yeah, there's 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 often shots that I just never got, like in almost every scene. I'm like, ah, I would have gone in on that, or like, ah, I should have gotten it from that, or like, gotten the, you know, a, a lot of it was, um, yeah, it was my first film. I'm looking forward to having would, would you, more ability would, to think about all of those things. And would you about. do you feel like you saw that on the day, like sitting in, sitting in front of the monitor on set, being like, "Oh, we ran out of time on this, and I wanted to get that," or was it more in the editing room where you were like, "Now that we're assembling this, I see that I missed an opportunity." It was. I I believe that it was largely um, a, a, an intentional situation that was created out of efficiency and a lack of time so that I designed the coverage for each scene for absolute efficiency and not always to get every shot that I wanted. But then, yeah, later you're like, really? Would it have taken that much more time <laughs> to like pop on a different lens, go in a little bit? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, sometimes people have to go to school while <laughs> right, you're shooting. Right. So, you know, I have to just, it's like I have to cut myself slack. Sure. In terms of like, you know, the my limitations as a director, but also, you know, make sure that I don't forget that so that when I do move into the second film and I have more time, that I'm more aware of like building myself all the tools that I'm going to want in, in the edit. Sure. You know? Was it was there something in post that came up that was something that you didn't see coming that you, that was a, a like a problem solve that was like, oh, now how do we solve that? I there's one problem that I solved in a way that made me really happy. Like I had to create a new beat in in a scene to use the only usable footage that I had for this moment and it it um yeah, like forced a it forced a new story beat just in that, you know, from using the tools that I had. Do you want to talk about the beat? Oh, sure. <laughs> um yeah, so uh Bird and Carlos are talking on the stairs and it's magic hour. I don't know why I wrote like an eight page long scene for two young actors to be performed at magic, magic, hour. <laughs> magic hour on a really complicated set because right. it's on a stairway. And so the shooters right. like, you know, standing backwards on the stairs. And right. And for those who don't know, magic hour, um, it's called magic hour. It's about 20 minutes in, in filmmaking life. 
Um, so you, you, it seems like you've got an hour to get that, but you've, you've got about 20 minutes to match the lighting and then it completely changes. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's gotta be, you gotta so, be so you've got so you, sorry, so you've got an eight pager <laughs> and so the solve. Yeah. Oh, but there was, you know, so there was, um, we needed bird to smile at something that, uh, Carlos said, we really needed it to make sense of, you know, where the story went for, for them as a, as a relationship. And she never, like, we never got that look on her face, except that the camera was rolling when I was talking to her. And so we found a shot, you know, that had been like long since thrown away where she's looking at me and we're talking to each other and she's got this beautiful smile on her face, but then she whips her head around and uh, so to use the shot, we put in church bells ringing that it was, you know, time to go home. I'm like, oh, that's so, like, that's so lovely. It's kind of like when the rain yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's raining at the point in the film. Where it like would it be raining. Yeah. Like, Thank you. So I love happy accidents. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's like they're, they're a mixture of, like, preparation and luck and, you know, magic. Like, I, yeah. I love it when those things. Yeah. But I do think that, you know. That it starts with the preparation, like to have yeah, that yeah. rock solid base of like. Well, and also just that DP not cutting the camera right yeah, away. Like, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah really nice. That you know, nice. twenty years ago it was like a big deal, but now it's all just you know ones and zeros. So just yeah, let it go, yeah, let that yeah. magic just catch yeah, it. You know. Yeah. Is there anything in the film uh, that kills you to watch? <laughs> the only thing that genuinely bothers me is when there's a. A moment where I wish I had gotten um, just more shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just a purely just the limitation of trying to get it all in nineteen days. And I mean, that seems like me like passing the buck off to you know time itself. Well, but there's a, I mean, there's also you yeah. know like a, a guy who's made thirty films mm-hmm. has an efficiency that they're just sure. like they come into this thing and right. they, but like it's your <laughs> first time, so that doesn't exist for you. So you're yeah. you, you know you're up against. All these first-time follies and trying to tell an effective story at the same time, so... Yeah, like, I I feel good about the shots that I got and the time that I had, and and the performances are wonderful. The, you know, all of the elements that are on... The production design's gorgeous. I You know, my DP did a, a beautiful job. Like, all the things, you know, are happening. It's so... it's Yeah, I don't feel destroyed by anything, but it's like, again, same kind of thing. I can't, you know... Yeah, it's something that... uh, Yeah, I'm like, ah, I just wish I had... Yeah, yeah. That's what I had, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that brings us to uh, to the circle takes. And this is, you know, the part of the show that ideally is is addressing, you know, someone who's about to step into their first experience. Oh, sweet. Um, what, was the, what was the biggest thing that surprised you about the experience? I would say to a large extent, it unfolded very much how I had imagined it to. There were a few decisions that I had to make, which felt like a very big decision. And the amount of time that I had to make them in felt disproportionate, which I'm sure happens to every director on every film. But that was that was one of the things where I guess I wasn't surprised by that per se, but it was it was one of the things that I felt like demanded the most 
the most of me where I had to be so intensely present and like open-minded and creative and problem solving and really fast about it. Right, <laughs> you right. know? Make decisions quickly, quickly, quickly. The kind quickly. of things I'd rather like, like I'd like to sit with that for 10 minutes. Like, no, <laughs> you know? You have 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually five. Yeah, yeah, make it three. <laughs> um, and it's great. Like finding out what you're made of is a wonderful thing that happens yeah. in filmmaking is your, you know, is, I'm sure you experience that feeling of like, oh yeah, I, like I actually... I, I can, you know, I have this in this moment. Was there anything that you thought like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. I don't like, I don't like how I handled that or I don't like, or, or an approach that you took to solve a problem that you're like, that didn't work out quite well or something that you look back on, you're like, I'm going to not do it that way next time. I have a, the, so one of the, the inciting incident happens at a scene in a park and we had a lot of uh, background actors that day and they were all young people. And I would say we were probably understaffed to, to deal with <laughs> to that. To wrangle all those kids. <laughs> to deal with that. Yeah. And there was one um, background actress who just really wanted to be in every shot. And so she was. Right. <laughs> but I'm so like, if you look sure. at the coverage, she's like kind of in two places at once. <laughs> like three, right. maybe. I'm sure and the IMDb geeks will point that out to us at some point. I hope so. But I just like to think of it as like, it's just twins. Right. <laughs> Still creepily dressing the same at age twelve. Of course. Um, w- was there was there anything about it that you thought was easier than you thought it was going to be? Um, I just uh, I felt like I had such tremendous support. Uh, my producers were incredibly support. You know, supportive. My crew was tremendously supportive. Um, I do. Uh, you know, as a filmmaker who happens to be a woman, I also just want to say, like, I never had a moment of anyone treating me any differently than any other filmmaker would be. What was the makeup of your crew? Was it because your your DP was a woman? Yep. Um, yeah. Was your because most film sets I've been on tend They're to dudes. be very male. There's like yeah. their hair and makeup is a couple of girls mm-hmm. and maybe wardrobe. And there might be one or two people in the art department and the rest of the crew is guys. Almost across the board. Every once in a while, I'm like, yeah. wow, there's some women in the camera crew. Right. And it's like a big deal. Yeah, it, it usually, yeah. So our, our DP is a woman. Um, we had a uh, second AC was a woman. Our sound mixer was a woman. Um, so Was that happenstance or did you try and go out of your way to populate the crew with women? I mean, I think... First of all, I think the be- you know the the best people for the jobs had the jobs, which was you know regardless of as it should be exactly right? exactly, but I do you know partly um, partly because I am a woman and I think in great part because of the subject matter of the film, there was a general feeling amongst all of us, and that started you know with the material and then the producers that came on and and um, certainly reaching out to a female DP was high. Um, you know, that was high on the list for all of us. Did uh, you ever think about a female editor? You know, I, I I met with and hired exactly one editor. Really? So I don't, you know, that just So happened. it was, was it somebody who was recommended or somebody you already knew that you trusted? It was somebody who was recommended and I saw a piece of theirs that, um, that they, uh, John Thompson, my editor, a, um, a film that he had made himself as a filmmaker that I just... It's like I wanna that mind I can yeah. I can gel with. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then what I always like to do is ask your advice. And and this is advice um for an aspiring director. Maybe they've made a couple of short films. Uh maybe they went to film school, maybe they didn't. Maybe they're working in the business, maybe they're not in the business yet. 
What advice can you give to someone? I would say be as prepared as you can possibly be and to use all of your time that you have actively building for yourself everything that you'll need on the day because there'll be so many moments where um, you'll have to make a new decision or a new plan and it's so much easier when you at least have something in place, even if you end up having to deviate from that, like having a really rigorous shot list. You might not get all of those things or you might have to change your plan or something, you know, might not work out. Something might break the doorway. The door moves the other direction. Like, right. well, who knows? Or more like it probably will break. Like <laughs> right, right. Things are going to go right. wrong, right? I just think it's good to have decisions in place already made so that, you know, if you are in a highly emotional situation, that at least you have something like a baseline decision, something to fall back on, a, f- yeah, a, fall a fallback plan. or a start or a start or a plan A, you know, yeah. so at least you have something in place. How many plans deep did you get? Do you think? Well, I, my brain is full of plans, <laughs> 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 you know, it's, um, and the, you know, I, I, how much I think about things, how much I, and I do like a lot of really applied thinking too, like the drawing and the, you know, the lists. I drew a very, oh, I became obsessed with one point at the locations not matching up in terms of the angle of the sun at the time of day that we were suggesting we were in this, you know, completely obsessional fixation I got. And I drew um, a very elaborate map of the world using the actual locations that we had and like where the sun would be. Yeah. And that time. Yeah. And it really like having that map in my kit bag was dope. <laughs> it was great. It really, like, I, I, I used it. It right. was helpful to me. And it just helped me stitch together. It really helped me make sure that what I was shooting, that I was shooting for the edit. And it worked. It was great. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that to everybody. <laughs> it was a little, you know, I lost like a good three days there. <laughs> That's okay. But you were prepared. Yeah, I was. I was. Dory Barton, thank you so much for being on the Circle Take. Hey, Circle Take listeners, just want to let you know that if you like the movie, go ahead and head over to Rotten Tomatoes and give it a review. That's our show for today. Uh, the Circle Take is produced by Blue Apples Media. Our music is written and performed by Corey Fader Jacobs. Check him out at themasterfader.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where there's always many more episodes to check out. You can like us on Facebook at The Circle Take. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at The Circle Take where we post photos from our conversations, schedule updates, and previews of upcoming shows. And of course, all of this, the podcast links, clips, notes, and more is all available on our website at thecircletake.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Schmid, and you can circle that one.